Welcome to Round Rock Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you're in the Austin area, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 8.30 or 10 a.m. Or you can check us out and watch online at roundrockchurch.us. May God bless you as you seek Him, and may He use this message to give you exactly what you need. Well, I want to uh, wish everyone a happy National Ice Cream Day. Yeah, yeah, I hope you uh, celebrate that in an appropriate way. Uh, I actually had suggested that we serve ice cream during communion this morning. I don't know what happened to that. I thought that was going to happen, but I guess it, it didn't. Uh, but anyway, uh, don't blame me for that. Well, uh, I really am glad to be back again. I, I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I hate how disjointed things have been with, uh, you know, here one Sunday and not, and it's just kind of the way things have worked out. Really appreciate Matt and Michael for uh, kind of carrying the preaching load. And one of the things I regret about just with my schedule, having a, having a day job, uh, is that I don't get to spend as much time with the staff as I wish that I could. But in what little bit of time that I have had with them and just watching them and, and the work they're doing, you just are so blessed with the ministers at this church. Uh, Matt and Michael and Robin and Abby and of course what Jimmy does with the worship and then also Callie and Stacy and I hope I'm not leaving out anyone but um, you know when I when I think of of the staff here and the elders who do such a fantastic job I mean you you just and the the deacons and ministry leaders and just the spirit of this church you really are blessed and I hope that you're thanking God every day. If you're praying for them, that's the greatest contribution you can make to their work is just be praying for them and keep praying for the temp as well as for the search for um, the, the permanent preacher. And um, just really, really are very thankful for what God is doing in this church and uh, happy to be a part of it for a while. Well, I uh, let's talk about Jeremiah a little bit. We started this series um, a few weeks ago. And if you spend much time at all with Jeremiah, you will very quickly see that one of the dominant themes is that of judgment. Um, we were introduced to this um, in the last lesson when uh, God gave Jeremiah this vision of the boiling pot that was uh, kind of flowing over from the north, tilting from the north. And God told Jeremiah what that really represented was the, the Babylonian army uh, that God was sending down to execute judgment upon his people. And that, that theme runs throughout Jeremiah. It's not a real feel-good kind of, kind of book. And to see why that message was so important, you really have to go back a long, long time. Go back about three centuries, 300 years to the time of, of Solomon. Um, if, if Jeremiah's time was the low point in the history of God's people, then the days of, of David and Solomon were the high point. You had a king who had God's heart, reflected God's heart, and you had the king who was the wisest of all people. Um, but as, as wise as Solomon was, he still was human. He still had faults. And one of those faults, perhaps the one that was most significant, was a failure to, to kind of recognize and honor the distinction that God had intended for his people. Um, they were God's chosen people. He had called them out of all the other nations. His presence was among them in the form of the, the temple and the tabernacle. Uh, he had given them his laws. He had spoken with them. He was their God and they were his people. And so there was this kind of distinction that uh, they, they really were special in a way. But what happened was, with, in Solomon's case, 
is he began to lose that sense of this distinctiveness. And so you see that in the fact that Solomon had a thousand wives and mistresses, which really were kind of for political purposes. He was really forming alliances with all of the city-states from which those, those wives and mistresses came. And so the, the real problem was that when, when Solomon would bring them into the palace, he allowed them to bring the gods uh, and the idols that they worshipped that represented those gods. And then it wasn't long until Solomon was actually building altars where they could worship those gods. And then it wasn't long after that until Solomon himself was engaged in, these, in worship of these other gods. And there's a, a passage in 1 Kings chapter 11 that really you know, doesn't probably stand out all that much, all that dramatic, but it's really a portent of what was to come and really was a very significant verse. In verse 4, uh, in Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord his God as his father David had been. And that began, what happened with Solomon, began this downward spiral that would last for 300 years. 300 years of just moving a little bit farther away from God uh, year by year and king by king till they really lost that sense of being God's special people. Now, there were a few exceptions. Hezekiah was a good king who tried to institute a, a lot of reform, did all he could to turn the people back to God, but Hezekiah was followed by his son Manasseh. And for whatever reasons, we don't know, perhaps he was because he was just 12 years old when Manasseh became king and he would have had advisors and maybe those advisors didn't buy into Hezekiah's vision. But Manasseh did everything he could to undo what Hezekiah had done. And he was very effective at that. Um, there's a, a passage in 2 Kings 21 describing uh, Manasseh's leadership and his life it says, he did what was evil in the Lord's sight, following the detestable practices of the pagan nations that the Lord had driven from the land ahead of the Israelites. And that's, that's really significant because th those are the people for whom they're going to be different. And now they're kind of engaged in the same thing those, those nations were doing. He rebuilt the pagan shrines his father Hezekiah had destroyed. He constructed altars for Baal. And, and set up in a Asherah pole, just as King Ahab of Israel had done, of, you know, an especially wicked king in the history of Israel. He also bowed before all the powers of the heavens and worshipped them. He built pagan altars in the temple of the Lord, in the temple, the place where the Lord had said, my name will remain in Jerusalem forever. He built these altars for all the powers of the heavens in both courtyards of the Lord's temple. Manasseh also sacrificed his own son in the fire. This is the leader of God's people. He practiced sorcery and divination, and he consulted with mediums and psychics. He did much that was evil in the Lord's sight, arousing his anger. Uh, Manasseh led the people to do even more evil than the pagan nations that the Lord had destroyed when the people of Israel had entered, uh, entered the land. So not only are they 
Have they lost their distinctiveness? They're actually worse than the people who were there. Imagine a church that moves into a community that's you know it's run down and there's, there's a high crime rate and there's you know there's drug dealing going on. There's human trafficking. There's uh, you know there's robbery. All sorts of, of bad things happening. And the church goes in with the vision of of being a bright light and changing that. But after a while, the church becomes a lot like them and. Then they get to the point where the church is actually leading the way in all those things. That's, that's what has happened to Judah in the days leading up to Jeremiah. They had gotten worse than the people who were around them. And so, so the, 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 probably the most painful thing for God was to know that his people accepted this. Manasseh was king for 55 years. People allowed him to continue to rule. And so there's this 300 years of being led away from God by all these kings that has and now finally it's come to a point where th this one is the worst of all and God is just saying, I I've had enough. I I've just had enough. We know that Jeremiah was called in the year 627 B.C. He, he began to get these words from the Lord uh, during the 13th year of the reign of Josiah. Josiah was Manasseh's grandson. His father, Josiah's father, only reigned for two years. So it's very likely that Jeremiah was called during the final days of Manasseh's reign. And now it is his job to tell uh, that the time had come for God's reckoning. Time has come for God to sweep out the land. And it was not a very pleasant message to proclaim. And it, but it runs throughout his 40-year ministry. Now, there is an especially disturbing time, I think, uh, where, where Jeremiah is saying what's going on here uh, in chapter 14. It's during a time of drought, and the people are praying to God, but they're also praying to all the other gods that they worship and, and calling out to those idols. And they're, they're, they're saying the right words. They, they recognize or at least acknowledge their sin. And in chapter 14, verse 7, you hear this. The people say, our wickedness has caught up with this Lord, but help us for the sake of your reputation. We, ha we have turned away from you and sinned against you again and again. So they're saying the right thing. But the problem was their actions weren't showing anything different. Their actions weren't really backing up what they were, what they were saying. And, and so um, they're, 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 they begin this really long prayer of, of just kind of wailing and confessing to God what's going on. Um, in verse 11, though, Jeremiah says, The Lord said to me, Do not pray for these people anymore. And I can't imagine a worse state to be in than for God to say, Just stop praying. Your prayers aren't working. Don't, don't pray for these people anymore. When they fast, I will pay no attention. When they present their burnt offerings and grain offerings to me, I will not accept them. Instead, I will devour them with war, famine, and disease. God had wanted to protect them from those things, but God is saying now, I have become your enemy, and I will devour them with war, famine, and disease. And they come back, Lord, we, we confess our wickedness and that of our ancestors too. We all have sinned against you. For the sake of your reputation, Lord, do not abandon us. Do not disgrace your own glorious throne. 
Please remember us and do not break your covenant with us. Can, can any of the worthless foreign gods send us rain? Does it fall from the sky by itself? No, you are the one, O Lord our God. Only you can do such things. So we will wait for you to help us, which is exactly what you want to hear from them. But God knows better. And God knows that it's all just a front. God is, you know, they're kind of like, uh, you know, come on, Charlie Brown, kick the football again. And God is saying, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm, I'm just, I'm just done. And then in a section where, where the, uh, this had to have been especially troubling to Jeremiah, he tells how God responds. Then the Lord said to me, even if Moses and Samuel stood before me pleading for this, these people, I wouldn't help them. Away with them. Get them out of my sight. And if they say to you, but where can we go? Tell them, this is what the Lord says. Those who are destined for death to death. Those who are destined for war to war. Those who are destined for famine to famine. Those who are destined for captivity to captivity. God is saying, I'm, I'm just through. It is, it is time for judgment. Now, there is a, there is a message of grace that Jeremiah has to share. And we'll, we'll talk about that more in another time. Um, God is going to say that he's not going to completely destroy the nation. What he's going to do with this captivity is he's going to take a remnant and he's going to set them in Babylon for about 70 years. And he's going to, while they're gone, he's going to clean out the nation. I mean, he's going to purge the land and then he's going to bring them back. And John will actually share a little bit later on a psalm that was written in that, in that context. But the time has come where God says it has to get that drastic. Uh, I, I have to go to such lengths, God is saying, because the evil has gotten so rampant that nothing is going to change. Nothing has ever, he's seen it for 300 years and he's just saying enough is enough. Now, it's, it's time for judgment. Our, our concern for this series is living life at its best. And this doesn't seem all that helpful, does it? In fact, this, this is a little bit depressing. I, I have to admit that. It kind of reinforces what I said you know, a couple of weeks ago. Are you sure you got the right prophet for this series? Um, is, is Jeremiah really the one who's going to guide us to this very best life that we could live? Well, I, I really think he is. And I, I want to show you something that might help us appreciate this just how good what God is trying to get across to them is and how important it is to, to their overall well-being. Several years ago, we lived in Searcy, Arkansas. I was on the staff of a church there, the downtown church in Searcy. And uh, we, we bought a house out in the county a little bit. And this was the view from our deck. Um, it's uh, it's uh, on a ridge, sits up on a ridge, and you have this valley and then uh, there's another ridge on the other side. And that tallest peak you can see there is Mount Pisgah. Mount Pisgah. That, you know, that's where Moses looked to see the promised land. I didn't realize they had come that far west. Um, but it was from Mount Pisgah. They looked out and saw the promised land and uh, could see our house. I didn't know that Moses did that. But anyway, he did. So, so that's, that's why we bought this house was because of that view. There's a problem, though. Here's the problem. That's the problem. <laughs> that was the house. 
Uh, and it, you know, it was kind of an okay shape, but the, the guy that we bought it from had built it himself about 30 years prior. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, it was small and just needed a lot of work done. I'll, I'll give you a little quick little tour if that's okay. Uh, this is the dining area looking toward the kitchen. See, it's not, not very big. Uh, this little, little close-up of the kitchen. Some of you may remember this. Um, it's, it's been a long time since I've been into a Wendy's. But some of you, do you remember the tables they had at Wendy's? They had that, uh, the, the print on the tables was like this old catalog, you know, of real old products, like from, you know, a century or so ago. Well, that's what we had for wallpaper in our, in our kitchen. So, uh, you know, we knew that something had to be done with that tiny little sink there. Uh, this is a view of the other end of the house, kind of a sitting, living area. Uh, and just, you know, not, not a whole lot. They were very neat and tidy. They had a vacuum there. It's nice to know they could vacuum things up. Uh, but just a, a house that needed a lot of work. And so what we, what we did was we, we, we bought the house because of the view. And then we said, let's, let's remodel the house. It'll be fun. <laughs> and this is before all the Chip and Joanna shows, you know, that kind of th thing was out. And so we, we, we did that. And, uh, and, and, you know, put a lot of time and money. You know how they say remodeling a house usually takes about twice as long as you think and cost about twice as much money? I'd say more like three or four times. Um, and it really would have been simpler just to have torn this thing down and started over. It would have been cheaper probably to have done that. But we thought, oh, no, let's, let's do it. You want to see how it, how it turned out? We had this vision of what we thought the house might look like. And so this is what we were aiming for. <laughs> Big plants. He said, no, maybe we got to back off a little bit. And so we did. And so uh, what we did was we took this house uh, and transformed it into this house. And that's a pretty good improvement, you know, for, for amateurs who did a lot of the work themselves. Uh, we, we, were, we were pleased with that. And the same thing was what was going. It's hard to believe that that house turned out to be that house. You see why I say it's been easier to have torn it down. But... Um, so anyway, here I'll show you some pictures from the inside. You know, this is the kitchen before, and this is the kitchen after. Uh, and then we had this little sitting, you know, area on one end of the house, and this is the way that that turned out. You know, added on and took out walls and all this, all this stuff. And it was a quite an experience. It was fun, uh, and a lot of other things as well. But here's here's what I want you to see. This is this is really important, uh, and you need to know this if you're ever going to do something like this. Before this could become this, we had to do this. And, and before we could turn this kitchen into this kitchen, we had to do this. And before we could turn this end of the house into this end of the house, we had to do this. And a long, long time of kind of working on this. I can remember getting up early before church on a Sunday morning and going down and you know, putting up sheetrock for a couple of hours, and then going to church and going back in the afternoon. And I mean, it just was, was really quite an ordeal. And if you think those shows like Chip and Joanna look like fun, and you'd like to try that, let's talk, okay? Let's have a conversation about that. Uh, I'd be glad to, to share some, some ideas with you. But here's, here's why I'm showing you this, okay? And this is really my point here today. Sometimes, before there can be construction, there has to be destruction. 
Sometimes before there can be construction, there has to be destruction. Sometimes before you can build, you have to tear out that which doesn't belong. And that's what God was doing with the people in Jeremiah's day. There was something he wanted to build. And there were a lot of things that were in the way of that. And so they had to undergo this time of destruction before God could build what he really wanted to build there. And I, I, I really think that what God wants to do in our lives, I feel pretty sure of this based upon what I read in the Bible, is, and I think it could best be encapsulated this way. If you wonder what God's plans for you are, this, this is a good way to encapsulate it. I think God wants to shape us into the image of Jesus. I feel pretty sure of that. That when you read the Bible, read the New Testament especially, you just walk away from that feeling like God wants to make me look more like Jesus. He wants to build me and shape me into the image of Jesus. Um, that's, and it just so happens, you know, we're talking about living life at its best. That's life at its best. The more we're like Jesus, the happier we're going to be, the more self-fulfilled we're going to be, the more we're going to bless other people around us, the more we are shaped like Jesus. What will hinder that are those, those practices and those habits and those patterns that keep God from being able to build. You know, we, we wanted to build this house, but we could not do it unless we tore out some things first. We, we had to make a lot of changes and do a lot of destruction before we, before we could really build something. Uh, there are same things that simply had to be torn down. And if we're going to be shaped into the image of Jesus, more than likely, at different times in our lives, there will be those practices, those habits, those patterns that God has to tear out so that He can reshape us. It's like you know, doing all we can to be healthy and to look healthy. And so I, you know, I maybe we, you know, we, we dress nice and we eat right and we exercise and we do all these things we can to, to look healthy. But if there is cancer on the inside, that cancer has to be removed. And that's, that's what Jeremiah, that was his task, was to announce to the people of Judah, it's time for surgery. You, know, you, you look nice, you say all these great prayers, uh, you're very religious people, but you're not really following God. And so there, there is time for God to remove some things uh, that, are, that are getting in the way. It's, it's time for the surgery. You know, I spent a lot of time earlier this year uh, talking about repentance, you know, that, that series on alignment, which is really what repentance is. It's simply aligning our lives with the will of God. And you know, because we spent so much time talking about that, originally I didn't even include this sermon in this series. I, um, you know, I'm kind of afraid of being known as the repentance sheriff, you know, that when everybody sees me, they're going to think, I oh, know he's going to sing just as I am or something like that, you know. And, and I, but, but I just felt like I couldn't do Jeremiah justice if we didn't talk about this theme of, of judgment and, and change. Um, and, and what, if we can build off of that, what, what I said you know, a few months ago about repentance, it is this process, called it alignment then, but it is this process of identifying what is going on in my life that is contrary to will, the will of God, and then changing that. Ch changing that. We're not taking away from the grace of God at all, but simply saying, I want to be everything that God wants me to be. And so, so I want to change courses when I need to change courses. And I may find myself back on that same path again that I don't really want to be on. I hope not, but I, I don't mean to be, but I may be. But the wonderful thing about 
God is, His grace uh, and His mercy not only provides forgiveness, but it also, remember I said, not only uh, provides an answer for the problem of sin, it also provides an answer for the practice of sin. And, and so God's grace calls us to just keep trying. Just don't quit. The door is open to, to, to come back to God. Just don't quit. In Jeremiah's day, they had quit. They, they weren't trying anymore. And so God says, we're going to, going to close the door. And I, I, what I want us to see today is that this, this call to do that, this call to, to let God remove those things that are hindering His work in us is really something good. It's, it's a very positive thing. But in, in, it's part of the good news. But in Jeremiah's day, it was good news that no one wanted to hear. And maybe it is in ours as well. You know, it, it may not seem like it at the time, but if I am engaged in behavior that is keeping me from living life at its best, and, and even perhaps more importantly than that, if I'm engaged in behavior that is hindering my relationship with God and limiting His work in me, the very best thing anyone can say to me is, stop doing that. You just need to stop doing that. That's why most things that have parts that can, and, and, and things going on that can go wrong, that's why most of those things have warning lights. You know, um, you, you're, you're, you're heading for a breakdown. You better stop. You better fix this. That, that warning light is, is telling us. Well, imagine driving down the highway and say your temperature light comes on. And you know, I say, man, that light's really bringing me down. I, I'm trying to have a nice trip here, and I don't need all that negativity. I, I just want to enjoy this trip, so I, I take out my screwdriver and poke out the light, you know? <laughs> and that's, that's kind of what, what we do sometimes when we, well, I don't, I don't want to hear this message about repentance and change and I'll just claim the grace of God and I want to just enjoy life. Well, those, those warnings are there for a reason. It's not a good way to drive and it's not a good way to live either. Now, we're going to come back to this next week and we're going to, going to really see how this is such a positive thing and how it plays out in real life and, and how it makes a positive contribution to our, to our lives. If you can't be here, I hope you'll, you'll you know, tune in and, and listen. But I, as we move toward that, here's, here's, here's really a, the life lesson I want to leave with you today. And it's simply this. Life at its best is lived in obedience to God. Life at its best is lived in obedience to God. And before we can really talk about that, we have to, okay, is there, is there some destruction that needs to happen first? Um, the people in Jeremiah's day needed to hear that. They didn't listen. Jeremiah was their warning light, and they poked it out. And so I think we need to be asking ourselves, are there any warning lights flashing at us? And so between now and next Sunday, would, would, you, would you ask God to show you those lights? You know, some of us, I mean, I, you probably had the experience of having that check engine light on for about a year, you know, and we never really get around to doing the, the check engine and see what the problem is because we can kind of keep functioning okay, but something's going on. But, but I just, I think in between now and then, it would be good if we looked and listened and asked God to show us, God, are there any warning lights you want us to see? Is there something going on in, in my life that is 
hindering your work in me. Uh, and that, that might look like something, of perhaps something I'm trying to hide from God. I'm really being honest. I'm trying to hide something from God. Um, maybe it's something that hinders love for other people, keeps me from living love. Maybe something that is kind of destructive to me and to those around me rather than enabling me to build them up. Uh, maybe something about which I just feel guilt and shame. Sometimes we feel guilt and shame because, I don't know, it's kind of had that beaten into us. Our, our consciences are oversensitive. I, I recognize that happens. But you know what I've discovered? Sometimes when I feel guilty, the reason for that is because I'm guilty. <laughs> and I'm not, again, taking away from the grace of God at all. I'm simply saying that, you know, this, this is not what God wants in my life. And if I feel guilt about that, well, maybe, maybe that's that warning sign that God is trying to, trying to flash before me. So, you know, maybe, maybe I think a lot of us are kind of like me in that, uh, you know, we're a lot better at, at coming up with changes that other people need to make than we are our own. Let's resist that this week. Let's, let's simply go before God and God help me to see, is there anything in my life that is getting in the way of your work? in me. I, I believe there's some construction you want to do. Is there some destruction that you want to do first? And I believe that listening to those warnings so that we can fully give ourselves to the will of God is really the only way that we can experience life at its very best. Let's pray. Father, we are just so thankful for your, your patience and we, we're just so sad that you've had to put up with so much over the years. I just really am sorry when I read these passages about how for so long your people uh, just turned away from you and got to that point where they didn't even know who you were anymore. And I know we're not there, but we don't want to move in that direction. Uh, and we want to, to be moving toward you rather than away from you. And I'm thankful for Jeremiah and his message to us. Thankful for his faithfulness in delivering that message when you called him to that. And I pray that this week we will just be especially attuned to you and your voice, your spirit. Uh, and if there are things in us you want to tear out, um, that we'll see that and we'll cooperate with you. We will not try to hide things from you anymore because we really do want to live life at its very best. Uh, we know that being, in obedience, being obedient to you is the key to that. So help us listen and, and just... Look for those warning lights this week and then bring us back next week as we talk about how we can build upon this uh, and how our lives can be blessed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.